Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Have a great day. I was a lot like this when I was a kid. I um, just completely freaked out. I was, I think I was frozen from in fear from a really young age. And um, I had just horrible social anxiety. I had horrible self-esteem. I hated myself. Um, I don't know how much of that was. I grew up in New Jersey. I don't know how much of it was my family that I grew up in, how much was I was just born like that or had some kind of outlook from a young age, but um, I felt really isolated and really alone from as long as I can remember. And I remember my first drink. I was around 13. Um, I had eating disorder stuff before that, but I remember having a drink of whiskey at a boyfriend's house on Long Island and it was like disgusting and it burned in my chest and um, I just wanted more of it you know it was like I, I thought it was I thought it was gross you know like I had this physical almost blah to it but like um, I drank till I blacked out that night and so I guess I had the physical craving uh, right away. Um, for me, alcohol did something for me right away. I, um, you know, I was so trapped in myself and so um, freaked out by the world and so lonely. And it was this thing that kind of like unlocked things for me like it was like the door opened on my life when I started drinking like I hear that a lot in here that people it was almost like a spiritual experience it was like oh I didn't know life could feel this way and I remember having so many fun memories of that early drinking just being with friends and like kids stuff where you're like eating candy and drinking wine and it's like you know, you're laughing. I remember laughing so hard, and um, and I could I could be myself, you know, and I could. I was so numb the rest of the time when I was sober, and then I would drink, and it would be like I'd have all this life in me, and I'd have all this like excitement, and there was a sense of possibility, and I could be a part of things, and um, it was like magic for me. You know, and I remember feeling like, oh, I've like figured out how to do life. You know, like when I was sober, it would feel like the days were so long and every day was the same. And like it was so mundane, you know, and then I would drink and I would use and it would be like this light would go on inside of me. Um, for me, um consequences came in pretty early. I was actually 15 years old when I went to my first AA meeting. I've overdosed three times in my life. Um, I went, it was pretty clear I had a problem from a young age, and um, 
I tried many different things over the years to try to manage my drinking. I would switch my form of alcohol. I would try different patterns, like I'm going to do this on the weekends, or I'm going to do this with these people, or I'm going to get, I'd, <laughs> I'd have something, I'd some commitment or responsibility I have to fulfill. I'd kind of duck into some meetings and get sober for a little while and get through that, and then I'd drink again. Um, towards the end of my drinking, so this is in the context of like coming into AA, coming out, coming in. I never really tried the program. I'd come to meetings. I'd hear some things. Um, and then I guess like alcohol and drugs would kind of call to me again, you know, and I'd forget how bad it had gotten. Um, the last few years of my drinking and using got pretty weird. I, um, like it's almost hard to think about now. I, I'm a, I'm four years sober. I have a sponsor in a home group. I think I was supposed to say that. Um, <laughs> but thinking about it now, where I pretty much have a normal life now, you know, like thinking of those last four years or those last five years of drinking and using, um, it's almost like it's someone else's life I'm thinking about. You know, it's like I... My life got really weird, and the consequences got pretty heavy, you know? It was um, it was very isolated. I was in a lot of my, my using and my drinking was being in a studio apartment by myself, like pulling the shades and smoking crack and just going for days and then evening it out with alcohol and just this weird grind of things. And um, it became the only thing that mattered in my life and it overshadowed everything else. I, I remember I was my sister's maid of honor for her wedding. This was a few years ago. Um, this is in the last few years of my, my drinking and uh, I was her maid of honor I was able to kind of pull myself out of my my apartment to get up to New Jersey. I was in Washington, D.C., get up to New Jersey to be there for the wedding. And on the wedding morning before the wedding, I took off to go get drunk and um, missed my sister's wedding. This is the kind of things, you know, I, I was losing jobs. I was quitting jobs so I could spend more time at home alone. And it was kind of like I... I had these two lives, like, there was this life where I was, like, deeply unhappy and unfulfilled, and that was my sober life, you know? And then I would, my whole focus was getting back to the drunk times, you know? Like, either getting through the day or getting through the night to get to get drunk again, and that's when I could feel some release, you know, I could feel, um, I guess, at peace, or, um, how do you even describe it? It's like, I would feel, um, 
I would feel like my life was livable when I was fucked up and I would feel like life was unlivable when I was sober, you know? It was just my solution for my whole life. Um, there, the consequences started to out, out, outweigh the benefits in some way and um, I kind of turned some corner where I really wanted to stop but I was at this place where like I couldn't not drink and I couldn't stop. And um, I went to rehab a few times. I would make these resolutions to stop, and I couldn't follow through with them. I would check out of rehab. I would drink the first night home. Um, <clears throat> my last... I identify a lot with that idea of like the peculiar mental twist that we just have some little thing in our brain that's a little different than other people. Um, because I would always kind of get, I'd really, really, really want to stop, you know, and I'd make these plans to help me stop and I leave the state or I'd move in with family or I'd, um, break up with my boyfriend or whatever it was that seemed like it was going to be the thing that helped me stop. And something would happen in my brain where it just seemed like I should pick up, you know, like that seemed like the best plan, the best idea. And I would pick up again. Um, the last time I did that, it was, I'd been sober for a couple of months and um, I'd gone to a rehab. I had um, a little time under m with a few meetings, you know, and I thought, oh, it, it was my birthday. And I thought, it's my birthday. You know, <laughs> I should get drunk. And five days later, I had overdosed, and um, that's when I got clean sober this time. Um, I think the thing about that drinking experience that made it maybe a little different was that I had a lot of the things you guys had told me in my head, and I had this idea of powerless and powerlessness in my head. And um, the moment I had picked up a beer that during that relapse, like, like, I just knew that I, it was going to be bad, and I, but I couldn't not do it. You know, I had this real strong sense of, like, powerlessness. Like, this is what I have to do, you know? Like, feeling, like, enslaved by it and just having a real clear sense of that powerlessness and um, almost dying and, um, and just knowing that I was going to die. And that's how I came in this time. And for some reason, I had the gift of desperation, you know. Um, I knew that I was going to die and that people were telling me I was going to die. Like, um, but they've been saying that for years. So I don't know why this made it click, but that maybe that's the, the grace of it for me. Um, but I had the gift of desperation, and I came into AA again. And um, for some reason, I tried doing all the things you guys told me to do. <laughs>
and it worked. And um, I guess the experience for me has been one of feeling loved and accepted for the first time. And you guys didn't ask me for anything, and you just made suggestions, you know. And what I've done, the best I can do is just to follow the suggestions and something in my outlook changed where I don't need a drink and I don't need a drug to get through the day. And for me, it's been going through the steps with a sponsor and um, trying all the deeply uncomfortable things we do in here that like are hard for people with social anxiety. Um, but calling people's names in the phone book and sponsoring women and having a sponsor and going to meetings and um, what I find is that everything that drugs and alcohol gave me is what I now get from AA and from a higher power. And I thought the higher power thing seemed far-fetched. And though you guys gave me very clear-cut ways to get to it. Um, yeah, I think that's my whole message that, like, just try it, you know? <laughs> give, it a, give it a shot. And... Um, even if you do it reluctantly, and if you try the steps reluctantly, they still work. Um, and I haven't needed to pick up a drink or a drug, and I haven't wanted to. After about a year, that obsession went away. And that was through um, just trying to do the stuff I was asked to do. And I think that's all I have. So thank you. Hi, my name is Siri. I'm an alcoholic. Oh my god, I'm so nervous. Um, I spent the whole day not thinking about coming and sharing my story. <laughs> um, so my sobriety date is January 7th, 2015. Um, I have a home group, which is LIS. I have a sponsor who has a sponsor. Um, I So what it was like. I'm going to back up a little bit. Um, I first got sober about 12 years ago. Um, I hit what I thought was bottom. And um, just a few days before uh, an atrocious thing happened to me, um, a friend of mine came who I hadn't seen for weeks, and she said, you know, I can't hang out at your house anymore because it's a trigger for me, and I just went, you know, I'm going to AA, I'm trying to get sober. And um, so three or four days later when I woke up in my bed, um, having no idea how I got home with road rash on my face and having no recollection of the night before, um, that was my first introduction to AA was this girl who three days prior had said, I'm trying to get sober. So I called her, and uh, she introduced me to AA. Um, and I stayed sober for a while. I was I was in the middle of this thing, and, um, and I thought I was doing really well. And one night I was leaving a picnic or something. All my friends were sober, and I was on my way home, and the thought occurred to me like the thought occurred to Jim with the whiskey and the milk. Um... Oh, I could have some tequila. I'm from Arizona. We have drive-through liquor stores. I drove through the liquor store, and uh, I had some tequila. And uh, I sort of stuck around for a little while, uh, I think mostly because all of my friends were sober. And um, so I went for a long time, a uh, period of about 10 years, where I had some dry time, and I had some sober time, and I had some really alcoholic times, and I had some not-so-alcoholic but still drinking times. Um, and, you know, I, I've often reflected back on what happened to me in that moment. 
And um, the truth of the matter is I just lied to myself and I believed it. I just wasn't being honest, right? Um, so <clears throat> the reason I tell you that is because um, this program has changed my life for a second time. Um, I, I remember thinking that was as far down the scale as I could go. And in retrospect, was not. <laughs> um, so this time around, um, I, I was on that slippery, slippery slope down the hill. And um, by the time I got sober, so during my 10 years um, of drinking and not drinking, I had forgotten about AA. Like, I had forgotten that I had ever been an alcoholic. You know, I was just a normal drinker, and I had done this before, and I had been sober for a couple of years, sober, dry. And um, and I think that made it even more difficult for me to come back because um, I had this I had this sort of constant lie going in my head of, oh, I, I've done this before. I can do this again. And um, <clears throat> come to find out I can't do it by myself. Um, so... I remember about a month before I got sober, I started looking for AA meetings. At the time, I lived in Fall City, which is way out, and there's like one or two meetings somewhere out there a week. And, you know, they were just always inconvenient. Well, quite frankly, they were going to cut into my drinking time, which was all the time. Um, so, I, so, I didn't, uh, so I didn't go to them. Um, by the time I got help, I, it was about 10 o'clock in the morning. I was at work. I was drunk. Um, I would say already, but still. Um, I don't think I had drawn a sober breath for weeks. Um, I was drinking almost a half a gallon of straight uh, whiskey a day. Um, so that was farther down the scale than I ever thought I could have gone. Um, and I, I just couldn't function sober. Um, and there's this, there's this thing in the back of my head, like, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I don't know how to get help, right? Forgotten that I'd been an alcoholic, and I knew all about this thing called AA, right? Um, so at the time, I was at work, and I, I had gone outside just to take a break. My friend, uh, I had made, like, four friends in a building where I worked, and there were 500 employees, and, like, three of the four were sober, and uh, so I'm sitting outside with my friend, and it's like 10 o'clock in the morning, and he just looked at me, and he goes, Siri, how much have you had to drink today? And it was so awesome. Um, it was like I was drinking until I got caught, and then I kept going. You know, I wanted to be done, but I didn't know how to be done by myself. And so, um, so I just broke down. I was in tears. I said, you know, I just, I can't do this. I, I can't live with with alcohol in my life, and I can't live without it right now. Um, so he took me inside, walked me inside, went to my boss, and uh, went to his boss and to his boss. And um, they did this really amazing thing, and they put me in a cab and sent me home with a bag full of groceries so I wouldn't be hungover the next day. Um, they didn't fire me. Uh, they asked me what I needed and how they could support me, which was pretty amazing. Um, so... I had one of those miraculous things happen to me where I woke up the next day sure that I was going to be sick and vomiting and shaking because I had had shakes many times before, and I didn't. Um, I was surprised and um, grateful at that point. Um, so I found a couple of meetings, and, um, and I went to a couple of meetings. I remember on my third day having gone to a meeting, 
Um, and I had met, met a couple of people at meetings and they're like, oh, there's a great meeting here. There's a great meeting here. And, um, and I remember going on the third day and I remember thinking, oh my God, when I come back next week, I'm going to have 10 days. That was unfathomable for me at the time. Um, so why I drink, um, was because I was fundamentally uncomfortable. I was lonely. I had no idea who I was. I had tried on all of your skins and none of them fit. And I didn't know how to get into my own skin and just be okay with being me. Um, I remember my earliest childhood memories are of thinking that nobody understood me, nobody knew me, and, and like I was unlovable. And that persisted. Um, so, I, you know, I came, in, I came into the rooms and I surrounded my, myself with people who loved me. And, um, and I, I, I walked into the room ready. I had, step one was done. I knew that I was powerless over this thing. Um, and I knew my life was unmanageable. Um, and I know today, it's not just that my life is unmanageable as in I can't handle it, but life itself is not a thing to be managed. It's fluid, it's dynamic, and it changes. And I have to be willing to go with the flow. And for me, what that means is turning my will over to the care of a higher power, um, who I totally don't understand, and I'm okay with that. Um, the kicker for me was in step two when I had to believe that I could be restored to sanity, because I was sure that I was broken beyond repair. And I was sure that um, even if I could be repaired, I wasn't sure I was worth it. And then when I finally figured out that I was worth it, I thought, well, that's going to take a miracle, right? <laughs> Higher power, done. I knew I needed that. Um, so I came in and I took the steps, um, and I walked through them uh, pretty quickly. The difference this time between the last time is that I walked in these rooms and I surrendered. I was done. Somebody actually asked me in my first couple of days, well, what's the difference between last time and this time? And I said, I'm done. Um, I remember when I first drank after the first time, my sponsor at the time said, well, are you done? And my answer was, I don't know, which in my experience is no. So I did the research. You don't have to do it, but I recommend if you're in doubt, try it. Just remember we're here and try not to forget that you're an alcoholic. That didn't work out so well for me. So, um, so I came in and I did the steps. And um, what happened to me is that I learned about who I was. I got to know myself, and I got to accept myself, and I got to like myself, and then I got to love myself. Um, I'm, I'm so overwhelmed. I'm like looking out at this room, and I see so many faces in here of people that love me, and that I love. And um, yeah, it's been a really incredible journey, and I'm just over a year into it. Um, you know, so today I... Man, today my life is so good. I, uh, that job that didn't fire me for being drunk on the job fired me because I didn't really like the job enough to be on time. <laughs> so, uh, so I lost my job, and uh, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit, but I, I lost my job, and I immediately went to a meeting, and uh, acceptance is the answer to all of our problems today. <laughs> and I thought, ah. Oh. But then they kept reading, and um, there are no mistakes in God's world. And I truly believed that. I was in that place where I could truly believe that. And so people started asking me if I was going to look for another job, and I emphatically said no. 
I'm going to wait for God to bring one to me. <laughs> it works. I'm not kidding. It works, right? So a year later, I've been doing this thing that I absolutely love. Um, I'm so happy. I'm surrounded by sober people. Um, and every day is every day is sort of an exercise in the steps for me. Right? I work literally side by side with other sober people who have great programs. And, you know, when, when, I, get, when I get crunchy, first they hand me a Snickers bar. And, uh, and then they're like, all right, well, do you want to talk about this? What's going on? You know, and, and, and so we have, this, we have this understanding of this language where we all just get to be honest with each other. And, um, and that's a blessing for me. I spent a lot of uh, my life lying, but not knowing that I was lying because I didn't actually, like, I didn't know very much. Um, And so today I find that it takes far less energy to just be honest. Um, The lies and the trying to manipulate, that's for me, the, the management of life comes down to manipulation. And it's, for me, it's about exaggerating something or underplaying something because I want you to be impressed with me. And I was so focused on having you on, on what I assumed that you were thinking be good for me. And uh, today I know that, first of all, it's none of my business what you think. But second of all, I have no right to assume that I know what you think. And um, third of all, what you think about me doesn't matter so much as what I think about me. And today I can look in the mirror and I can know that I think good things about me and not bad things. I don't feel like I'm broken anymore. So today, like I said, I have a job that I love, and I'm surrounded with people who love me and that I love in ways that I never thought was possible. Um, There's a part in working with others that talks about how um, when we turn our lives over to God, um, amazing things happen to us, things that that we never could have imagined, no matter what your present circumstances are. And so in that present circumstance of having been fired, I was sitting in a meeting later that day, um, and they read the Ninth Step Promises, which doesn't happen at every meeting. It doesn't happen at my home group. And uh, as the gal was reading the promises, I, I said, check, check, check. And so they said fear of, uh, of economic insecurity will leave us. And I had this epiphany, this light bulb went over my head, and I thought, I am less financially insecure right now in this moment, being unemployed and having determined not to look for a new job than I had been two weeks ago with a job. And that, that for me was like, that was another time where I could just exhale because I knew that like God had my back and I'm pretty, I'm pretty grateful for that. So, you know, today what I try to do is I don't, I don't try. There's do and do not, right? So today what I do is I'm honest with myself. And I, I'm grateful for the people that I have in my life who help to keep me in check with that. Because sometimes I lie to myself and I believe my own lies. Um, but I, I'm honest with myself about where I am and what's going on. And, um, and I carry this message. I, I came up here and I got to speak for 14, 13 and a half minutes so far. And um, I got to talk about myself and tell my story, which I love doing because I'm an alcoholic and I like to talk about myself. Um, but no, but, but in all earnestness, um, I come to meetings and I share in meetings because I hope that part of my story resonates with part of your story. And more than just the story itself, it's about how I felt and how you feel. And if we can connect on those, on those 
feelings levels of, oh yeah, that was my mental process, that's a really great place to start. Um, somewhere in one of the forewords, it talks about how recovery starts when one alcoholic talks to another alcoholic. And, um, and that's, that's my life today. My primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics achieve sobriety. And, um, having been given that job, I take it seriously, but I have a lot, a lot of fun with it. So anyway, I am so grateful to be here and to be able to share my story and see all of your faces looking at me. And I hope that you heard something that um, resonated with you. Thanks. I'm Murphy, and I'm an alcoholic. Hi, everybody. Uh, I can't tell you how uh, pleased and honored I am to be here to share with you tonight. This uh, opportunity to be of service has come at the perfect time in my life when... uh, The necessity for spiritual growth is something that I need to hold on to. I like to start with a short reading and end with a short reading. So uh, this is from the forward to the first edition. We of Alcoholics Anonymous are more than 100 men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. To show other alcoholics precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose of this book. For them, we hope these pages will prove so convincing that no further authentication will be necessary. We think this account of our experiences will help everyone to better understand the alcoholic. Many do not comprehend that the alcoholic is a very sick person. And besides, we are sure our way of living has its advantages for all. Um, I usually pray in a, uh, before, well, I always pray. Uh, that's what I was taught to do, you know, pray and hope that you tell the truth and you can transmit a message of hope to another suffering alcoholic who might need to hear what you have to say. Um... So I did, and then right after that, my brain went blank. I was because like, <laughs> I have two stories, and uh, I have one story to tell, and then I have another story to tell. Because uh, the one story abruptly stops uh, with 13 years and six months of sobriety, and a new story started. So I think maybe I'll tell the new story tonight. Um, my sobriety date is October 22nd, 2012, and. Uh, the day before that, I reached a place of pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization, and I found myself back in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous uh, the following day, and it was my first day sober. Uh, I had been staying at a sponsee's house. He gave me the keys to his apartment where him and his young son uh, and his wife were living, and it's something I said I'd never do. I'd never use a sponsee for anything, for a job, for money, for shelter, for food, for nothing. Our work is done. I told you how to, I, I shared with you what I knew about how to stay sober. Now you go share it with somebody else. That's it. And there I was sleeping uh, on his floor. And um, I was so relieved, though, because this kid loves me. Loves me. He loves me like the way we love each other in Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, I guess for the next 15 months, it was touch and go for me. Um, here's a guy who had everything that the promises offer in this program. I had an amazing wife, beautiful, smart, funny. We got along really well, really well. We're like a Swiss watch in the kitchen. I'm like, (laughs) and she's like, we're really good together and uh, funny and she gets me, you know, just got my stupid, goofy jokes and my attempts of being humorous. And, uh, we just got along really great. And, uh, 
and uh, she didn't want to be my wife anymore because I had treated her so poorly uh, during the last part of our relationship before we got a divorce uh, that she could not deal with the suffering that alcoholics will heap upon their loved ones uh, when they're using. And so she did the right thing. Uh, uh, she's a smart girl. She's like, this is stopping now. And moved out. And, uh, we're great friends. We're still great friends. I live with her three days a week. You know, we're, we're really good. On the couch. I sleep on the couch. But. <laughs> She's my pal. She's my pal. And uh, I didn't have that wonderful wife anymore. And I had a great job. And it sounds like I'm bragging, and I guess I am a little bit. Uh, I worked as a disease investigator uh, for the epidemiological public health Department of Fred Hutchinson as a cancer researcher. Now, you're looking at a guy that does not have a high school diploma. I need you to know that. So there was some grace of God involved in that. There was some, uh, somebody cared enough about what they saw as far as potential to give me an opportunity. And, uh, and I ran with it. So uh, I worked as a cancer researcher for about 10 years. I had a nice car and had a couple of girlfriends on the side. And uh, I thought I was doing great. And see, that's the part where uh, the spiritual part of my life uh, breaks down. Uh, I betrayed all the values, all the things that were important to me, all the things that I had built up in my life to give me self-worth and to give me value. That meant my message meant something when I sat down with a guy and I looked in his eyes and I said, we're going to get through this thing together. I got news for you, pal. I know something you don't know. This deal works. And uh, I lost all of that, all of that personal prestige and a sense of value that you get from being able to carry a message you hold. You know, it's the one thing in my life that I did good. And I don't have that now. Now I'm sleeping on my sponsee's floor with a bag with all my belongings on it and wearing some clothes that I've had on for a week, trying not to look homeless. But I got news for you. If you're homeless, all the other homeless people know you're homeless. So there's no, there's no getting around that. You cannot be a snob while you're walking down 3rd Avenue looking for cigarette butts to pick up off the ground. It just, it just isn't done in homeless parlance. So... Anyway, uh, so there I am, and I had a decision to make, and it took about 15 months for me to uh, stop feeling sorry for myself, uh, to let go of that past that I thought was so righteous and glorious, to uh, forgive myself, uh, to rejoin the other alcoholics that were trying to get sober one day at a time and stay sober one day at a time. It took all of that. You know, there were times during that 15 months when I just wanted to give up. I was just like, what are you doing? You're done, pal. You had your shot. That's it for you. And uh, all of my friends and all the people that love me and care about me and all the people that know me would come up to me and say, you know, there was a meeting one time that I heard you share and you pierced my heart. And that's when I knew that I could get sober. Stuff like that was happening to me at my very lowest point. When I wanted to quit, when I wanted to give up, that's God's love. That's God's grace. That's all there is to that. You know, I'm convinced of that. God wants me to be sober, and he found a way for me to be sober. He found a way 
for me to internalize the message of hope and love that this program offers us, even though I felt worthless and I felt like, what's the point? Um, so uh, that went on for 15 months, and then finally the fever broke. Uh, I had gone to enough meetings, I had prayed enough, I had started to work uh, with a sponsor. Uh, I love this guy, Brady. If you ever get a chance to hear him, he's terrific, uh, my sponsor. And uh, he's, a, he's a delightful gentleman. Uh, and he, he understands me, he gets me, he knows exactly what to say. Uh, his words to me are like a soothing balm because he suffered the way I suffered. He knows what I mean when I say, man, I'm really sad today. He's the kind of guy that will put his arms around you, look you in the eye, and give you a little peck on the cheek. I love you, Murphy. And uh, sometimes that's just what I need, you know. And uh, so I'm going through the steps. I'm on uh, step nine now. I'm making amends to people. And uh, there has been uh, a spiritual growth that has been happening these last few weeks that all I can say is that it's come in the form of an arduous journey. It seems like at every turn, at every social, political, economic, however you would like to characterize it, uh, at every turn it seems like I'm being defeated, being rejected, being uh, not, being disappointed. And uh, it's funny because all I want is an opportunity to do God's will. So I'm in the car and I'm driving around and I think to myself, he says many times each day, I will be done. And so that's what I do. And it doesn't matter how I feel. And it doesn't matter if the next time I'm hurt or disappointed. It just doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is that I align, align my will with what it is that God would have me be. Uh, that I internalize that message of the necessity for a spiritual experience or a spiritual awakening. That I need to develop, maintain, and enlarge that thing, and to continue to work on it and perfect it. Um, so uh, that's where I'm at. That's the place that I'm at. And it's uncomfortable, and it's different, and it's new. It's not like before, when I had all the answers, when I was the big shot, when people would look up to me, and I would say smart aleck stuff like, if you put me on a pedestal, you'll just get a crooked neck. You know, I thought that was so, you know... So humble. <laughs> I would get all breathy talking about the spiritual experience. <laughs> and people's mouths would drop open and they would fall at my feet to listen to the words of the master. But not anymore. Things are different now. You know, things are different. I'm the one that's been humbled. I'm the one that sees the need for uh, spiritual connection with that thing in that I call God. I'm the one that sees that really, utterly, my life is meaningless and I am powerless over so much without that connection. That's what gives me direction. That's what gives me purpose. That's what makes it worthwhile to get up in the morning. Um, and you know, a lot of us have outside, I got three minutes left, a lot of us have uh, outside problems and I'm one too. And I take my little medications and and stuff like that. And um, it's funny. Uh, I say my prayers every morning. 
when I used to sometimes say them, you know, once in a while going out the door, sitting in the car, I'll hit it when I get into traffic or when we hit a stop slide, I'll say something. But I say my prayers every morning because I know it's the most important thing that I could do that day. You know, I pray to God. I know the cavalry's on the way. I know it. It's the best thing that I could do. And then I keep praying. And I keep praying. And I call some people. And when I feel bad, I look for somebody to help. I'm really living the program today in a way that, I don't know, I'm ashamed to say it, but it seems foreign to my previous efforts at sobriety. It's just not the same. And I think maybe it's the feeling. You know, it's the feeling. It's how I feel about what it is that I'm doing. Uh, you know, it's funny. Uh, they always say that this program changes your perception, that this program does slowly what alcohol used to do for us quickly. And it's funny because uh, I, I'm not getting the results that I want that alcohol would give me right now. But I believe in my heart, with every fiber of my being, that it's worth the wait. And I'm going to stay the course. I'm going to continue to do this thing, work with guys, and go to meetings, and share my story, and love my brothers and sisters in this program. You know, it's a great thing to have uh, somebody come up to you and sit next to you and, and just grab your hand that you don't even know. And whisper in your ear, I heard you share last night and you really touched my heart. Those are the things that I need. Those are the things that keep me coming back. Um, I have a minute and 40-something seconds, and I'd like to close with, uh, I'd like to start with stuff out of the book, and I'd like to finish up with stuff out of the book. It says here in, in A Vision for You on page 164 that our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you can't not transmit something you have in God. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find to join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit. And you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Hello. Oh, there's a microphone. What's up? I'm Kieran. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Kieran. My sobriety date is April 29th, 2011. My home group is Queers, Crackpots, and Fallen Women, which is a queer-identified, non-binary trans meeting. Um, if anyone's interested in that, they can talk to me after. <sighs> okay. So um, I've chaired this meeting once before, back when I had exactly one year sober. So to be standing here in front of you all today, still sober, is pretty awesome. I'm going to do my best not to swear. It's really hard for me. Um, so I'll talk about the first time I ever had a drink. Um, I was sitting in my living room, um, and my dad handed me a beer, and it was a Labatt Blue, and I took a sip of it. And I remember walking through all of the aisles of the grocery store for, like, the next five years, being like, can't wait till I can drink that again. It was five. The next time I had a drink, I was 14. I went to um, a wedding in... Um, 
Georgia, and my dad was like, hey, why don't you try rum and coke, kid? And I was like, hell yeah, dad. And um, he gave me a rum and coke, and my brother gave me a rum and coke, and my cousin gave me a rum and coke. And then I ran around to all the tables, and I drank rum and coke all night. And I got really drunk, and I got sent home. And I went back to the hotel room, and I got into the hotel room, and I was sitting on the bed, and I, I have an older brother named Connor. I said, Connor, let's go get more. So we left, and we went and walked around Columbus, Georgia, until we found some more. Um, so that's just how I drank from the beginning. You know, like I put alcohol in my body and my mind's like, you know, how can I get more? How can I get more? How can I get more? Um, I grew up on Queen Anne. I'm a Seattle kid, um, which I think is really awesome. I get to exist in this room today with two other Seattle kids, which feels really rad. Um, I uh, made it through high school. My dad always told me, get really, really, really good grades, do well in school, and you'll never go to rehab. Um, mostly that he would <laughs> never send me to rehab. Um, so I did that. I'm a Catholic school kid, super Irish Catholic. Um, grew up, went to Catholic school for 11 years, and I got really good grades, and I did a lot of drugs, and I drank a lot of alcohol. And I, like, aspired to be an alcoholic. I looked at my dad, and I looked at all of the men in my family, and I always wanted to be a boy growing up. And so I was always like, that's what you do, right? You drink. And so that was how I proved myself with the guys all the time, right? Like, I could drink like the other boys. I could do drugs like the other boys. And that was just, like, how I ran, um, which was fun in high school. Um, after high school, I went off to college, um, and um, I started drinking. It just like I quit doing drugs after high school and just started drinking all the time. We were really into like we drink whiskey, we don't do drugs. Um, and oh, another good part of this. So I'll also tell like my coming out stories as this because it's so entrenched. When I was 14, I met this girl at um, Dick's up on Broadway, and I walked away having all of these feelings inside my stomach, and I was like, I'm never ever gonna think about this ever again, right? Because I'm super Catholic, and like I can't be gay, and I definitely can't be trans. And, like, I um, uh, walked away, and my first thought was, I'm just going to get high, and I'm never going to think about this again. And I pretty much didn't think about my sexuality or my gender again until I got sober. Um, and so I, um, that's not true. I thought about it a lot. <laughs> but that's a different story. Um, so I, uh, like, walked away from that not thinking about it. Um, I went off to college and decided I was going to come out, so I bought some Axe. Um, it's a joke. Um, I, uh, I didn't because I met a boy that likes to drink like I do. Um, his name was Mackenzie. My last name is McMonagall. We got along really well. Um, and we liked to drink whiskey together. Um, and that's what we did. We drank all the time. I did, you know, just all the time. Um, I did other things to help me with school, and then I drank a lot. Um, I moved out to Montana with him and pretty much died spiritually, right? So people say that, like, we die in this program. And I died completely spiritually. I was drinking all the time at the American Legion um, with all the old dudes. I really like being an old, drunk dude. Um, I was, like, 22 at this point, like, really cute. I would look at all of the girls in the bar who were, like, really, like, um, I've been drinking for much longer than me, and I knew that I didn't want to grow up to be that. And all the guys were like, well, you're well on your way, kid. Um, so I drank all the time, and I was really depressed, and I really wanted to kill myself. And um, I, there are a lot of guns in Montana. Um, I'm from the city. I'm not used to being around a lot of guns. And I was not only obsessed with drinking, but I was obsessed with, like, hurting people really hard because I was really scared of myself. And I, didn't, I was working in this queer cafe, 
in Bozeman, Montana. Um, and so I was like in love with everybody and in this relationship with this cis guy. Um, and um, I really, really wanted to hurt him because I thought that was the only way out of um, where I was. So we got really drunk one night and um, I blacked out and I woke up holding an AR-15 because I don't go big, right? I don't go small. And um, holding an AR-15 and he was sleeping and I was like, what the fuck? I put the gun down and I was like, okay, I have, I have to do something. I have to go home. I have to go home. So I came home and I was going to get sober, right? And, you know, like one thing led to another and I was like controlling my drinking, right? Which meant that I was really, really miserable and um, really scared and really alone and really gay and um, not really sure like what to do. Like I didn't have any solution for what was going on inside of me. I, um, I lived out in Green Lake and um, I worked in the residential treatment facility and I was really, I know, that was where I went to my first meeting. Um, I was really, really, like, just depressed and sad and wanted to kill myself. And um, I didn't really think that there was any other option, right? Like, I'm a McMonagall. We drink a lot. Um, and I didn't think that there was any, any solution for myself. Um, and I didn't, like, I didn't get sober then, right? And I didn't get sober years later. Um, I got sober when I went out to... Well, I went to Italy, and I traveled around, and I was scared, and I was suicidal again, and I wanted to kill myself. And I had, um, at this point, I was like half out, and um, I was just drinking like I did when I was in Montana. And I would always promise myself that if it got that bad again, like if I wanted to hurt myself and I wanted to hurt other people again, um, that I'd have to get sober. So I was sitting on top of my bunk in Italy, like at a hostel, and I was just like swore that I'd get sober, but when I got home, right, and luckily I made it home, I went on this like huge bender in Rome, and ended up, some guy ended up like packing up my stuff, and like putting me on a train, and I lost my passport, and all of that, um, but I got home, and I was going to get sober, and then um, I didn't, I kept, I was like, I got sober for like five days and then I was like, I should have a beer, right? Like, that's cool. And then I find myself on a date with some guy and we're like both crying about how we want to kill ourselves because we can't stop drinking. And I was like, well, this is awesome. Um, so I don't know what happened. Like one day I'm like crying to some cis guy that I, I want to like die because I'm drinking too much. And the next day I'm like, oh, at one point during this whole experience, I like decided to start a master's degree in psychology. Um, because I couldn't understand myself and I didn't understand how my brain worked. I figured that I'm of the educational variety, so I will just teach myself um, why I'm so, this is where I was going to swear, but didn't, why I'm, why I'm so depressed. Um, so I, uh, I ended up talking to a friend in that program and they invited me to a meeting, right? And um, I lived in Green Lake and they said, be at my house by 6.30 in the morning in Capitol Hill and you can come to this meeting called PTP. And I was like, I don't have a car, how do I get there? And they're like, you figure it out. So I got on the bus at 5.45 in the morning because I didn't want to drink that day. And I got to her house and I um, was wearing like my leather jacket and I introduced myself in the meeting. I was like, hi, I made it, I'm here. Aren't you guys excited? Haven't you been waiting? Um, and they had. Um, and, you know, I ran into, like, I've run into so many people in these rooms that I knew when I was out using, which is really rad, and a lot of them are still sober, 
um, in that space, I found some, I found a lot, actually, the reason I came back to AA is because there was this guy there that I thought was cool, it was like a metalhead, and I was like, if that guy can get sober, like, I can, and he's cute, and I'm cute, and like, whatever, um, and so, that was another joke, um, <laughs> so I, uh, kept coming back to meetings, and, um, I eventually fell into this group of, uh, young people that wanted to get sober and stay sober and wanted to explore ourselves and figure out our stuff. Um, I got a sponsor. She was the one with the light shining on her at the meeting with the big smile that was like, I'm so happy, and kept telling me that I was a miracle, and I kept wanting to punch her in the face. Um, and so she, um, she like, helped me, like, right, she, like, took me through the steps. Turns out she was, like, a friend of, like, my friend. She was my friend's mom from when I was a kid. Um, that was pretty funny. So I'd known her since I was like 10. Um, and so she took me through the steps, right? And like the first time I ever went through the steps, um, the only thing I read out of um, uh, the doctor's opinion was like, I, I can't go on like this. I have everything to live for and I must stop, but I, I can't. And um, that was true for me. Like I just didn't know how to do life, right? And I just didn't want to do this anymore. Um, and like, Throughout, like I've worked the steps. I'm on the. I'm work, reworking the steps now for the third time. I have a new sponsor, um, and like every like I keep doing these things like over and over again, expecting different results. So like when it, if it first started with drinking, like I just drank all the time, right? And then like I worked the steps, found a sponsor, wrote some inventory, made some amends, started working with other people, and that got better, right? So then like I'm not obsessed with drinking, but I got all of this other. That's when I would swear again. Stuff going on inside of me. Um, that's really scary, right? Like, it's really hard to be me in this world of, like, really normative people, right? Like, I'm an alcoholic, I'm queer, I'm trans, like, I'm all of these things that feel really, like, uncomfortable, and I'm an alcoholic, right? So I have, like, a solution that's outlined in these steps, and that's super rad. Um, so I apply these steps not just to my drinking, but to all of those other areas of obsession that, like, really feel hard for me. I found freedom from so many different things. At two years sober, I weighed 98 pounds because I wasn't eating because I had no idea how to handle stress. Um, and that's something that I've been able to apply to the steps and like have been free from for two years. Um, I feel super, super grateful um, for the people that I've met in these rooms, for the moments where um, I always say that if, if I hear someone say something three times to me, that's like God reminding me of something. Um, my life today, like before I got sober, like I was like, everyone loves me. I'm cute as hell. But like I cannot experience love for other people. Right. Like I had no idea how to love people. No idea. Uh, except for my stuffed animal flatso. Um, but now, like, I've spent the last, like, I work at a queer youth summer camp, um, and I spent the last two weeks surrounded by just, like, the most unconditional love that I could ever imagine, and I, like, have felt so open with my heart, like, more than I could have ever imagined, and that's, like, a direct result of coming into these rooms and working the steps, getting a sponsor, and applying these steps not just to my drinking problem, but to all the other shit that goes, sorry, there we go, I really worked on not swearing, all the other stuff that goes on for us. Um, I don't know, I'm sitting in a lot of gratitude today and feeling like, um, I have a, like, okay, so part of working the steps, right, is developing a connection to this thing that people call God or people call higher power, um, spirit of the universe, whatever you want to call it, it doesn't matter. But for me, my connection to something greater than myself has literally given me the freedom to get outside of myself. And that's what's really 
powerful is to not live in that like self-will where like you're trying to control and manipulate everything. I've been there in recovery and it is so hard when you're in recovery and you're just trying to like create everything to be exactly as you want because what I've found out is that like no matter how hard I try, nothing is going to come out to be the way that I think it should be. Um, uh, I legally changed my name on Friday um, to Kieran. And I like cried when I changed it because it was this moment of like letting go of um, my five-year-old childhood dreams, right? But in that space of letting go, I like opened up this new door of like surrender that I didn't think was actually possible. Um, I, um, I don't know, I've experienced a lot of surrender, but that's a different story. Um, I get to work with people today. That's a huge part of my recovery. I have sponsees. I have one sponsee. Um, and I get to show up to my home group, and I get to have, like, a really, really big life. Um, sometimes I um, wonder, like, sometimes I'm like, oh, I'm not doing AA enough. I'm not going to enough meetings. But I'm also, like, creating space where I go to meetings, and I have my sponsees, and I have my sponsor, and I'm actively working the steps every day in my life to have the life that I want and that's given to me. Um, I have one minute left. What else do I want to say? Um, I mean, long story short, like, four and a half years ago, I, like, wanted to die so hard. And I wanted to kill people. And um, I was afraid to be in the room with guns because I didn't trust myself. And, like, not much has changed since then. And everything's changed. I, um, I like don't obsess about those things anymore. I don't obsess about drinking. I have other things that I work on, right? But that's like, I work on like, how to be able to exist in relationship or how to communicate or how to like experience true love with people. Um, and those are things that I would love to strive for. It's not about surviving today, but it's about like being open and having like a really awesome space in my heart. Um, sorry, it's just about to ring out, so I'll finish up. Um, the long and short of it, I mean, super grateful to be sober, um, and I think being a sober radical queer is really special. Um, and um, I had a really good way I was going to wrap this up. Um, for those of you who came to scoff, uh, you may remain to pray. Thanks. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.